Welcome to the Stop Ruining My Childhood podcast. A sometimes nostalgic, sometimes cynical look back at pop culture. Join us as we revisit movies, cartoons, and live action TV of the 80s and 90s and ask the question... Does this hold up or did I just ruin my childhood? My name is Megan. And I'm Steve. And today we are reviewing Glory for our bonus... Memorial Day episode. Yes, Memorial Day episode, so we chose Glory, the Civil War movie from 1989. You can find Glory on Amazon Prime. We rented it. And it's also on AMC Plus, which we don't have right now. Right. Which is but why we rented it. two different it. places you can find it. Yeah, and we'll link those on our blog. Watch with us on our webpage, www.stoprootingmychildhood.com. So, I know you've said this before, Steve, before we get into our snack, Memorial Day, a lot of people get it mixed up with Veterans Day. Right. Can you kind of explain the difference real quick? Yeah, so Memorial Day is a day in remembrance of all those who are lost, normally during wars. And so you, you know, think about the people who died defending the country um, and died during the the number of multiple wars that we have. Mm. Veterans Day is a day in remembrance of active soldiers as well as just everyone who's ever been in the military. Okay. Um, and so it's a little different, right? Memorial Day, we're in memoriam, basically, or in memory of those who were lost during while fighting during wars. It's interesting you picked Glory during our What is Steve Willing to Watch section. <laughs> Be- I did. Because Memorial Day actually started in May 1868, so right after the Civil War, yep. which is when Glory takes place, and it was called Decoration Day. So it was um, kind of like the first version. So we're excited to be talking about this movie that honors the people who fought for our country. Yeah. Before we do that, we going into one of my favorite parts of the podcast, which is our non-sponsored retro snack. And we're really retro today. Yes, because today it's saltwater taffy. (laughs) So I got a bag. Okay, this was really important. I don't like just picking colors where I don't know what the flavors are going to be. So I got a bag that tells us the flavor. So what flavor are you going to grab today? I am grabbing blueberry. Is it blueberry? No, it's blue raspberry. Blue raspberry. Okay. Take a... What flavor did you get? I got a Neapolitan and then I have a different kind that's a cherry. um, A different brand. So while Steve's eating his taffy, this is different. Um, you are in Europe. Saltwater taffy is different than toffee. It's kind of derived from that same word. But English toffee is like a caramelized sugar or molasses candy. Originally, this was molasses. The first type of taffy in the United States appeared in around 1817 is where um, they first can kind of track it back to. And then in the 1800s, the mid-1800s, taffy started becoming really popular. And kind of like we talked about with maple sugar candy, it was a party. It was an event. So people would have parties where they did candy pulls. Um, They'd have molasses boiling parties. They'd have these candy parties. They were common pastimes, especially during the cold winter. Well, this was a party in my mouth, so. (laughs) Okay. Well, they would keep stirring the liquid. It forms a soft ball, and then it is 
pulled to make it softer and to keep that like consistency and it integrates air into it yeah exactly it gets a little bit of air and then it's put into buttered pans and then the party really begins because people would cover their hands in butter and make a bowl of taffy and then pull it to get the air into it and fold it and apparently they like joked and gossiped and all of that kind of stuff then it was rolled into ropes and cut with scissors or twisted and braided um sometimes molded into shapes um, and at that point, it kind of smelled like molasses. I really tried to get the old-fashioned kind. Yes. But I kind of, I, I had a hard time finding it. Okay. I had the blue raspberry, and mm. it was really good. This this type of taffy that we purchased, it has kind of a strong flavor, which I like. And the blue raspberry tastes, it brings me back to another retro snack, which are ice pops. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. they come in the little plastic tubes and you have to freeze them and then you cut the end off and push them up and you cut your lip on them and all <laughs> that good stuff. Well, it reminds me of the blue. It tastes just like the blue ice pops. This is chewier than I know. I it's so chewy. I know you were talking about the history and I was just chewing and chewing and chewing away. But it's really excellent. And, you know, this the thing about saltwater taffy is it's still big. We were able to purchase it just at our local store, but it's still big on, like, if you go to Atlantic City or Coney Island or places with boardwalks, fairs, you'll see a lot of places where they're still pulling the taffy. Yeah, so that's the interesting thing. It's called saltwater taffy now in the 1880s on the boardwalks of Atlantic City and then later Ocean City. And there's this kind of apocryphal tale that a man who was selling taffy, the kind that everybody in the 1800s had been eating, that there was a storm, it left some ocean spray on the taffy. He ate it anyway and was like, oh, this is better. Mm-hmm. Then we have this man, Joseph Fralinger, who popularized it. So first he had molasses and then chocolate and vanilla. And then he eventually created 25 flavors. And his concession stand is still on the boardwalk there today. Huh. Which is fascinating Where to is me. Where is this at Atlantic City? In Atlantic okay. City. And there was a competitor who had worked for him, Enoch James. He made it less sticky and easier to unwrap. So it's a little bit of salt water. Now, I will say the flavor that we had today, it's called saltwater taffy because this had such a strong, like, flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Mine was Neapolitan, so a little bit of chocolate, vanilla, strawberry. Yep. Some of the really old-fashioned saltwater taffy does eventually that flavor goes and it's just kind of salty and sweet at the end. I kind of liked that this wasn't. Okay. Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, so did I. So, we both liked it. What are you going to rate it? Okay, um, so out of flags. Out of flags for out, Memorial Day. For Memorial Day. Um, out of five flags i'm gonna give saltwater taffy five i'm gonna give it a five as well all right so that might make it one of our highest one of our highest snacks ever since pop rocks except pop rocks (laughs) (laughs) Um, pop rocks also was a five out of five so we rate the snack five out of five pause for effect five flags out, out of five. five for saltwater taffy. Really delightful. It's one of those things that's kind of old-fashioned, but man, it holds up. I could eat the whole bag. I may have eaten part of the bag before we started. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so. So, quick summary. Glory, for those of you who have never seen the film, is 1989. It's a Civil War film. But it's a Civil War film told from a little bit different of an angle. It is about, it's ba- based historically off of the 54th Regiment from Massachusetts, which was an all-black regiment. 
um, except for the officers. The officers were white. It was the first time this was tried, and as the movie discusses, it was sort of a political move, you know, because Lincoln was about to do the Emancipation Proclamation, and they wanted to show that black men were being, you know, integrated more, and so they were giving them a chance to fight. And so we follow, actually, the the white officer who runs it, who's played by Matthew Broderick, and he goes, to, he's promoted very young. He's only in his 20s. He's a captain, which is already pretty high for a young man that age. Mm. And they promote him to colonel and give him the command of this regiment. And so he's struggling with learning how to lead, really, as well as learning to connect with these men, who many of them were ex-slaves, right, who had dealt with a lot of issues in the South. Um, And you follow this regiment as they kind of learn how to be a military unit. They learn discipline. Um, there's drill sergeant that's involved that's kind of rough. You see them learning to get their, you know, getting organized. And then you see their trials and tribulations of even getting the opportunity to fight, going down south and realizing that there's a difference between the fact that they were made soldiers and that they may actually get allowed to fight. You mm-hmm. know, the difference between it being kind of a political move and actually allowing them to be military. And then we see them, you know, actually finally near the end of the movie get into the battle. And they actually, you know, historically were engaged in a bat- a major battle at Fort Wagner in South Carolina. And that's kind of where it wraps up. So we'll get into details more during the recap. But that's pretty much the, the summary of the movie. Yeah, it's a really interesting movie because it's historical fiction. So as Steve said, it's based on the 54th Massachusetts Infantry Unit, which was the first African-American regiment. But roughly 200,000 black Americans were in the Union Army eventually. And this infantry unit seems to have really inspired people to join and to fight. Right. right. I don't know if they had exact equality, but knowing that they would be treated like the other soldiers. Right. So um, Colonel Shaw is the commander in chief. He's, as Steve said, he's played commander. by. He's the Command, chief command. Commander in chief is the president. <laughs> they didn't promote him that high. Colonel Robert Shaw is the regiment's chief commander, mm-hmm. not the commander in chief, because that's the president of the United States. Um, but he is the chief commander, as Steve said, that's played by Matthew Broderick. This was a script that was inspired by two books, Lincoln Kirsten's Lay This Laurel and then Peter Burchard's One Gallant Rush. But they did use some of Shaw's personal correspondence as well. And they tried to kind of show that a lot of other movies like Gone with the Wind is a good example. They have this idea of like the lost cause and that the South was fighting for states' rights or they kind of romanticize it and play down the role that slavery played in the Civil War, right? They were really trying to fight against that view with this movie. So the overall trajectory of the script really does rely on those letters from Shaw. But a lot of the events aren't exactly historically accurate. There's a couple soldiers whose real names are used in the movie, but a lot of them are invented characters for the film. Also, they don't show that Shaw spent some time away from the war because he got married to Anna Neeland Haggerty. 
just before the regiment shipped out to Buford, South Carolina. So in okay. real life, there were times when he wasn't there, I guess. A lot of the individuals in the film are escaped slaves or freed slaves. In reality, it was really a mixture. There were some escaped and some freed slaves, but there were others who were really members of prominent families. And we'll get into some of that in our like full recap as well when we when we talk about some of the details. Frederick Douglass is in the movie and in real life two of his sons enlisted. Yeah. And one of them had the rank of regimental sergeant major. But they also, you know, in the film, this is reality that black soldiers who were captured were seen as slaves. They were massacred in really horrific ways. Some were captured and sold back into slavery rather than being sent to prison camps. The white military leaders who were working with them were also treated pretty brutally. I guess that's the best way I can kind of put it. So it's really taking a lot of that into account. But some of the fun facts about the actual movie itself. Yep. A lot of the extras were Civil War reenactors. Oh, that's cool. That just, makes sense. Yeah. And they just participated without pay because like this is what they do. Right. And they got to be on, in a movie. Yes. I think that was so cool. Um, they have a flogging scene with um, Denzel Washington and the director said that he was lashed at full contact, but he had a special whip that wouldn't sting. Okay. But so they wanted it to not just be like fakey showing his face, but they wanted like right. Um, Morgan Freeman had been in the Air Force, so he used some of his experiences to kind of show how relationships would be formed in a unit. He basically talked to the people making the film and was like, no one becomes friends right away. That partnerships are kind of made according to strengths, mm -hmm. which I think is interesting. And Matthew Broderick said that the battle scenes didn't require much acting from him because he was genuinely afraid because there were explosions going yes. on everywhere. And if you walked in the wrong spot, something could go wrong. Um, this is after Matthew Broderick had been in War Games, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and then another movie, Biloxi Blues, yes. along with a number of other projects. So... A which, lot. Is, which is a military movie as well. Yeah, it's World War II, right? It's actually, I think it's after World War II, but yeah, it's it's in Biloxi, Mississippi. Yeah, so I have um, an article from the Smithsonian that really digs into a lot of the history, and I'm going to link that on our blog for people who want to read more about this awesome. regiment and what they did. You know, we, we don't want to talk about it for an hour. <laughs> right, right. But it's really fascinating, and um, I think the Smithsonian article does it some justice. It's interesting that it was, you know, it's interesting that they utilized some of Robert Shaw's letters to his mom and his father for this. And I like how in certain areas of the movie, it's narrated as him writing the letter. Yeah. So you're getting direct lines from the letters. Um, and you see at the end where he hands some letters off to someone. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I like that. Too. So I think that's just a really cool detail, and I'm glad that they incorporated that. So we're going to pause here, and when we come back, we'll talk about our memories, or lack thereof, and then we'll get into our full review and recap. This podcast is supported by its creators. And listeners like you. Help keep our show ad-free by visiting our website, StopRuiningMyChildhood.com. There you can find links to our social media. And this very podcast you're currently listening to. Both Megan and I are authors, and you can find links to our books on our About page. 
And on our Watch With Us page, you can find videos and links for all the shows and movies we discuss on the podcast. And more importantly, links to buy the nostalgic snacks we review as well. We also post bonus content about once a month. So like, subscribe, and follow. For a small independent podcast like ours, it really does make a difference. Thanks. And now back to the show. Okay, we are back. I'm Megan. And I'm Steve. Just in case people forgot. Yeah. (laughs) So we're talking about Glory, the 1989 Civil War film about the all-black regiment, the 54th, from Massachusetts. Um, And so let's talk about memories. So, Megan, what are your memories of Glory? None. (laughs) (laughs) None at all. Um, I did, I will say this, so I have no memories of this movie. I did it one time. My family likes to travel a bit and Mm. we like to do historic vacations. So I have seen Antietam where the movie starts. Um, The movie starts the battle at Antietam. And one time we went to Gettysburg. And so as we were watching this, it just looked a lot like, I don't know if they filmed it there. I know it doesn't take place in Gettysburg. Right. I'm not sure if they use Gettysburg for filming because it is a pretty wide open area. Mm. But yeah, it just reminded me of that and um, some of the things that, you know, we, we learned at that point. But I've never seen the movie. I've seen like posters of it i might have seen the preview but i would have been 10 when this movie came out so a little bit maybe graphic for a 10 year old true yeah yeah that's true i was i was 12 and i don't i mean i don't believe i saw it in a theater i think i saw it either on vhs or probably like hbo or something right later on um, a little bit late but not long after i mean i remember i did see it then and i've I've only seen it probably maybe a handful of times, maybe two, three times. But, I mean, it left left a lasting impression. I remember liking the movie, and I remember it, finding it interesting. But I've always found, like, historical things interesting. Right, yeah. You know, so that was a big piece. Not to mention, to be honest, the cast is phenomenal. Yeah, I was going to ask you, though, before we kind of get into, like recapping the movie and all that did do you feel overall like when a lot of this movie is the training which kind of surprised me yes how much of it is training do you feel like it was it realistic to even now the type of training like that you went through when you were in the military yeah it definitely was i mean i was in the army and it's it's a lot like boot camp which i mean they didn't call it that back then right and they spend a little more time in it because they really are they have no idea how to be soldiers, right? But also, it's taking them time. They're doing struggles to even get uniforms, things like that. Um, you know, this was an experimental unit. So, it really, they spend a little bit more time in it than the two months that I spent in boot camp. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're learning how to, dr- they're drilling. They're learning how to march. They're learning how to act as a unit. They're learning how to, to break up into companies and squads and to follow leadership. And it was great that they had, you know, he brought in kind of an old school sergeant. That's what I was going to ask about. a drill about. sergeant, yeah. which hasn't changed apparently since the 1800s <laughs> because they're still aggressive. And there's the whole point of a drill sergeant is to scream and yell and catch you off guard, help to break you down mentally from trying to be an individual to learning to be a team and to take commands and orders. Mm. Because in battle, there's no, there, you don't have time to ask why you're doing something or to react you just have to listen and react to the order that's being given 
Yeah. The other thing that I will say about this movie, again, although I don't have specific memory of watching it, is that when we went through our list of what you could pick, I didn't even, that wasn't even an exhaustive list. There were a ton of historical movies and patriotic movies and... And we'll probably pick another one of them for Fourth of July. <laughs> right, right. But um, but there were a, a just a kind of an explosion of historical dramas and military themed movies around this time, which is kind of interesting to me. This is kind of the tail end of the eighties, so getting after the Reagan era, right? Reagan was president up to eighty eight. Yep, eighty to eighty eight. So now we're in George H W Bush territory. Um, and if you're a listener, one of our <laughs> European or Australian or Canadian or Middle Eastern listeners, you're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the Reagan era was kind of known for an increase in military buildup, right? uh, Ronald Reagan kind of built up our military a bit. And there were also, I think, possibly because of a lot of things in the 70s had to do with like the feminist movement and kind of a different type of masculinity like a little bit like you can still be a man and cry sometimes or be gentle but there's also this other view of masculinity of like a fighter and a soldier and toughness and so this what's interesting is that for a military movie this kind of showed both of those sides which i thought was really intriguing um but let's get into the you know let's get into the recap sure so this, as we mentioned before, this follows Robert Shaw, who, at the beginning of the movie, it's interesting because this movie starts in a battle. Yes. So it starts at Antietam, which is uh, which was a major battle in the Civil War. It was earlier in the war. Um, it happened, it's just it's outside Maryland, and it was an important battle because it was one of the first decisive victories of the Union Army. Mm. And President Abraham Lincoln had been waiting for a decisive victory so that he could use that to launch the Emancipation Proclamation. He wanted to sign that after a victory. Yeah, so that's one of the reasons it's important that it starts that way. And I will say, so this movie begins with a title card basically saying that it's partially based off of Shaw's letters, right? But then we have this gorgeous cinematography where it's a wide shot of, now we know all the Civil War reenactors, but it's a wide shot of all these tents that the soldiers are staying in, and they're kind of resting a few days before going into this battle. You know, what, what I like about this is that Shaw was very young, and they emphasize that in this movie. These soldiers are, they're writing, they're giving each other letters, like, from their girlfriend. You know, right. from their from the girls they're courting and their moms, they're throwing a baseball around. You can kind of tell how young these guys are. Right. And you forget that a lot of times that's who's fighting the wars. Guys who are not even really, if I was teaching them, I wouldn't consider them men yet. Right. <laughs> right? They're like 17, 18, 19. And we have a drummer who's maybe 14. Oh, yeah, the drummers were younger, were kids. Yeah. And it's interesting because it mentions at the title card that Robert Shaw, at this point, where he's a captain, and which is, um, you know, an officer, and it's an officer in command of, of a unit, of a platoon, right, mm-hmm. or a company. And he, so he's leading men. He's 23. Right. So he's not a veteran or a grizzled, no. you know, soldier by any means. And you see that, and I kind of like that. It doesn't open with just this 
like heroic charge or anything. It shows the realities of war. Antietam was interesting because the Union did win, but, you know, the Union outnumbered the Confederate Army two to one. Mm. The Union had eight over 80,000 people. The Confederate Army had 38,000. So it was should have been a win by the Union Army, and we lost more. We, lo- right. we, we, we lost over 2,000 soldiers, and they lost about 1,500. Yeah, what I like that it does is it kind of starts with almost, you know, this movie's called Glory, and it starts with almost the glory of war, and you think that it's going to be... You think it's going to be a movie that kind of glorifies war? Matthew Broderick's out in front of everybody with a sword. So they have guns and they have um, bayonets. They have musket, they have rifles, and they have bayonets. Bayonets are where the, there's like a sword or a knife. Yep, it's a knife attached to the end of the rifle. Okay, so Matthew Broderick doesn't have either of these. He has a sword sword, and he's holding it out very far in front of him, kind of leading the charge. And he kind of realizes, as you realize, that this is not a smart thing to do. Right. That that he's out very exposed. All of the gunfire then suddenly starts going off. So you go from this 30, 45 seconds of the glory of war to the chaos of war right away. Right. It also shows warfare had not changed in 100 years Mm. from, from the Revolutionary War, where... You just lined everybody up in a field and waited until you got like 50 yards away and then shot because yeah. because these the, the weapons at this time were not very accurate. So you couldn't hit anything unless you were pretty close to it, right? Yeah, I actually so, put in my notes, what a stupid way to fight. Yeah, and the officer <laughs> is, he's in front because he's leading. Yeah. But he doesn't even have a rifle. Officers carried a, a pistol and a sword, mm. which was mainly to signal everyone. So it's interesting that because you see how dumb this is to to still fight this way right out in the middle of the open. It's one of the reasons we defeated the British. You'd think that they would have gotten rid of it. But it's interesting that that's how they're fighting and you see people just being killed left and right around him. But also you see his reaction. He takes cover finally and just drops to the ground and then he's knocked out unconscious and wakes up after the battle's done. And then we have a sunburst. And we hear Morgan Freeman before we see him. Right. Which I thought was also a really cool directorial choice. Matthew Broderick is kind of dazed and walking around the battlefield. I will say, I I don't know that he was the best casting choice. He is supposed to be young and innocent. The problem is that we meet Morgan Freeman. Right. <laughs> and then later on, we have Denzel Washington. <laughs> We have Andre Brower, who is in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, right? And we have Carrie Elways. And then we also have Matthew Broderick. He's up. He's with some heavy hitters. He definitely is. I guess that's my point. But he's kind of just like open-mouthed, and you can tell that he's in shock. That, first of all, that I think part of it is he thought he was going to die. Right. And the second is possibly... He feels like maybe a coward. There's a lot going on with him internally. Well, he's overwhelmed. Yes. You know what I mean? That's battle a good way of is not it. what people, you know, people glorify battle in a lot of ways. And when you're in real and when you're in real war and there's real gunfire and explosions and people dying around you, it's it's traumatizing. Yeah. And, and I enjoy I like the fact that after this, 
we see him at a party because, of course, it was a victory. Right. Right. They're having this, and it's he's back in Massachusetts, and there's this high, you know, his his family are, his dad apparently is like a very well-known abolitionist, mm-hmm. and they have money. So he's in this, you know, high society party, and he's at the punch bowl, and somebody drops something, and he jumps. Yeah. Because he absolutely has what we call now PTSD, right? It's very clear he has PTSD, but I will also say, you know, this is kind of, in, in, in terms of books, a fairly new genre to have a new adult story. So young adult is like teenagers. New mm. adult is like 18 to 25, maybe 30 about people in like their first careers, their first right. jobs. And that's kind of what's going on here in a lot of ways. He's young. He's looked at like a war hero, but he has imposter syndrome. He does not feel like a hero yeah. at all. And then we have Carrie Elways come in, who is like so great as his kind of looser drunk friend right (laughs) at least at this party he's a little he's he's a little tipsy yeah at this party and you can tell that he's more of like the good time guy and he's also home from war but he's clearly had a little bit of a different experience so probably wasn't in the same battle right or hasn't maybe hasn't even seen battle, mm-hmm. all of that kind of thing. So I thought that that was really interesting. The music in some of these scenes, to me, it didn't really seem to fit all that well. The guy who did the music for this also did the music for Titanic. Yeah, James Homer. Yeah, he worked on Titanic, Avatar, American Tale, Amazing Spider-Man. Um, Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan. Oh, I didn't know that one. Um, he also did The Rocketeer. Oh. And aliens. Oh, we got to revisit the Rocketeer sometime. But um, at any rate, Titanic, I always think of as having that like coral, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like all of that. And that is in this a lot. And sometimes it fits like during the battle scenes. But there's other like this is a party and it's too somber. It just didn't mesh quite well but i did like the interaction between the two guys and we also have andre brower who is uh from a prominent family yeah he's he's a he's a black man from massachusetts who's very well educated he grew up friends with um robert shaw and his he says at one point he's a free man his parents were free people like he's multi-generational free black man from the north. Yeah, which really makes a difference in how he is viewed and also how he kind of views other people, especially later on when he becomes part of the regiment. Right. Right. The party really is a quick, it's a really quick scene, but it's important because it shows his mental kind of prowess at the time that he's still struggling from the battle. But also his father introduces him to the governor, but yeah. then also to Frederick Douglass. Yes. Who's there? And of course, because his dad's a prominent abolitionist, right? And Frederick Douglass partially came up with this idea to have a black regiment, right? Along with other people. And of course, Lincoln thought it was a good idea. And his dad, being influential, says, I put your name in to be the leader. And Frederick Douglass talks about pride and dignity. And he kind of has a pretty moving speech. Again, it's not a a long scene, but we're talking about it so much because it's a really important scene. Right. Because it sets all of this stuff up. So then we get to, um, he's worried about it. He realizes that this 
this regiment of African-Americans might not actually ever see battle. Seems like that's maybe one of the reasons he takes it. It also seems like the other reason he takes it is to prove himself, right? Right. That he knows what actually happened in the other battle, and he's kind of ashamed of it a little bit, Well, and he wants to change. He wants to prove himself, but the truth of the matter is this. I mean, he gets thrown into this situation where he's going from being a company commander to being the commander of a regiment, which is mm. a much larger piece, right? He goes from captain to colonel, which is skipping two other ranks. Oh, I didn't know that part. That's okay? interesting. So most of the time, like in the military today, in the army, it could take some, it could, if someone's an officer, it could take you 20 years to be colonel. Mm. If you ever become a colonel, right? Colonel is right under general. It's a very high rank. So he's 23 and he's given the rank of a colonel. Rich dad. Well, that's the thing. But again, it's it usually takes 20 years to become a colonel because you need that experience. Right. right. You need that, especially in battle. Now, in wars, you do get promoted a lot faster because people die, mm-hmm. right? In battle experience, it sways more when you're being promoted because it's more, you, you battle experience is way more than just sitting in an office somewhere, right? Yeah. But still, he's been in basically one battle and he's now been promoted up the chain tremendously which i think also goes into the fact that he already feels like he has imposter syndrome yeah now he really struggles with how to act and how does he he kind of at times puts on airs a little bit or acts even more remote from the men yes because of those things but then we we come into this piece where we meet the men who are going to be part of the regiment and Morgan Freeman, we realize, had been a grave digger. And right. that's why he was there before. He kicked he kicked Shaw, basically, to see if he's alive yeah, or not. Yeah, on the battlefield at Antietam. Yes. On the battlefield. So he comes into it. Then we have also Denzel Washington. and Who has been an escaped slave. Yep. And then we also have Andre Brower's character, who, of course, is a freed man and has lived free his whole life yeah we also have a, a couple other people we have another drummer you very are, young yeah and we also have jimmy kennedy who there also plays he also plays a, a an ex-slave mm-hmm. but from deep south and he's almost like the alternative to andre brower's character because he's very he plays he's very very happy positive person but educationally very ignorant yeah and has a little bit of a stutter he can't read because he's yeah Yeah. and andre brower's character actually teaches him to read yeah this was a highlight for me meeting all these characters because i liked that they did not just have one particular type they have people who are from who have come up from maryland tennessee south carolina georgia right all these places and they tried to show in this one group where they're all in a tent together Mm -hmm. we have five african-american men from all different backgrounds right i guess that's how i would put it so that was a highlight for me because i i liked the diversity it shows you that it's easy for us to put them all together and go oh yeah these were all freed slaves but they're not all freed slaves and even the ones that are are from very different backgrounds yeah and they still have different outlooks on things right like you you have this person who was a slave but he is very optimistic and he also very strongly we find later um is a christian and is fighting in part for god and country (laughs) right we have another who is 
very bitter against what's happened very to him. Very angry. Yeah, Denzel Washington was very angry. Justifiably so. And he's fighting for his own reasons, right? Which we'll kind of get into later. But I liked how they did that. I liked how they, they fleshed out those characters. So then we have the drill sergeant. <laughs> what did you think? Well, I thought it was pretty true to character for drill sergeants. He screams, he yells, he he's, I mean... I wouldn't say abusive. I would say he's strict. He's very strict. But that is, I mean, when I was in the military, it's changed a little bit. But when I was in the army, that's how it was. And the point was, it's because you're being broke down. You're being retrained. And the military is not a place where you can be sensitive or question things. You have to be reactive and react right away. In the, Because the, even though it seems harsh... This type of training will save your life when you have bullets zooming at I get that. I will say, though, um, to me, it was pretty clear that they're trying to show that in some ways, this guy is trying to train them to be good soldiers, yes. right? In other ways, Matthew Broderick's character is kind of looking on and he's uncomfortable with what's going on because this guy's using some racist slurs against them. He's calling them like dumb half-breeds at certain points. Mm -hmm. He is stomping on their feet. Um, one of them he smacks and hits down. Um, but, and it's really not clear. And I, to me, this is hard to say that this was a highlight, but it kind of was. And here's my reasoning. I think a lot of films take, no pun intended, a black and white approach. Mm -hmm. That people are either racist or... And they're against black people or they're not. And they're um, they're helpful. Right. This film really tried to show the gray in between that this is a drill sergeant. He always treats people this way. But there are some racial overtones to some of the stuff he's doing. Mm -hmm. And Matthew Broderick's character grew up with a black man as a friend. But... He pushes him away once they're in the regiment, in part because of his station, but in part because there are some, again, there are some racial kind of overtones there. So it's those things like people talk about now that they didn't in 1989, like microaggressions that we're seeing portrayed in this movie in a really realistic way. Right. So I kind of appreciated that nuance there. And there's a harshness that you can, I, and it shows a little difference, right? And it does mention that the drill sergeant is a bit of a racist. Mm -hmm. At one point, someone even says, like, you chose, like, you brought in the, 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 the drill sergeant. He's Irish. He really doesn't care much <laughs> yeah. for the blacks. Yeah. Right? But Matthew Broderick, even though he feels he's kind of, he, he questions the drill sergeant at first and says, aren't you being a bit harsh on them? We, we see a little bit later in the training, Matthew Roderick becomes very similar to the same way. Mm -hmm. Now, he doesn't use the same racial slurs and issues like that. But when we see Carrie Elwes' character, who's Major Forbes, is teaching them to shoot. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we find that the one soldier is really good shot. And so they're like doing bedding and things like that and seeing how far out he can shoot while everybody stands around and watches and he's kind of aiming and shooting and they think they're kind of having fun and everything and uh robert shaw matthew broderick's character comes up and says you know do it again and mm -hmm. so he starts to load and he goes faster faster and then he pulls his gun out and he goes faster and they start shooting his gun he goes shoot fire fire and the guy's not hitting anything at all and the point is during war you don't have time to you know lean up against a post to aim as best and he's the the 
you know, just allowing them to do things at their leisure isn't going to train them correctly, and they're going to get killed. You know, he turns to Forbes, his his second in command, who's a major. He turns to him, and they've been friends for a long time too. And he says, "Train them correctly, mm-hmm. because being nice and being, you know, in trying to make it fun is one thing. But if it's going to get them killed, if they're not taking it seriously, and that's the thing where the PTSD again comes into play. Yeah, I'm kind of assuming that." Before Antietam, this is how he and his friends were training. And he knows that that's not going to work. And it's not reality. That's not reality. And it also shows that I love this section of the movie where they're training. Because, you know, I, I actually wrote down here, I said, So Shaw learns how to really lead as the men learn how to be soldiers and prepare for battle. Yeah, I did like those training scenes as well, especially the shooting thing. But my low light here is that there's a lot of um i think it's because they're trying to show those nuances of of the racial dynamics but because of that there's a lot of like contradictions so on the one hand he sends letters to his mother saying this group of men is learning even faster than his white regiment did mm-hmm. in part because they're used to this inhumane kind of labor and now they're being treated well and trained and and that is something that they like. They want to work, mm-hmm. right? They just want to be treated well. And he talks about how how wonderful they're doing and how great they are. And then Major Forbes, again, Carrie Elway's character, he says, you're not treating them like men. You're riding around on a horse. Why don't you get, basically, why don't you get off your high horse and come mm-hmm. and be with them? So it's like, which one is it? Or, I mean, it could be both, but it's just the way that it was, the juxtaposition of that just kind of. Well, there's also a military piece of this that you're not, that you don't really understand, right? Chain of command being in the military, a, a commander would not fraternize with the enlisted men. Right. There's a separation there because he has to be held to a respect and also listen to, he, you're not, you can't be friends with the men you command. Yeah, and I think that includes Major Forbes. It does a little bit, and it definitely includes Thomas, who's on yeah. the right, because you know he Thomas walks up to him and says Robert, and tries to talk to him like they would before, and he kind of ignores him and walks away. And when Forbes is talking to to um, Thomas. Thomas, Shaw pulls him away and says, "You know, I will not stand for fraternization with the enlisted men." Yeah, it's a little bit like. I don't know if this has ever happened to you where you've had a job and you're friends with people and you're on their level and then you get promoted. Right. And then it kind of is difficult navigating. You want to be friendly with them, but you're their boss now or their supervisor. It is really complicated. It and is, the, yeah. the racial aspects and the historical aspects make it even more complicated. Well, well, I bring that up as a military issue because my point is is uh, it would be easy for someone to watch this movie who doesn't understand that to think that this is racial. It's not. Mm. It's a chain of command, not a racial thing. Hmm. He would be saying the exact same thing if they were all white troops. Because even if they were all white, you don't fraternize with your enlisted men. Yeah, I guess it's just that it's the optics of it. Well, that's why I'm you know explaining, I mean? yeah. Um, so then we come to another highlight, though, for me. I know I just talked about a low light, but a highlight for me in this section, uh, the Confederacy Proclamation. I did not 
I looked this up and I, I did not realize that this had happened, that basically to counteract the Emancipation Proclamation, the South in the Civil War had this Confederacy Proclamation where black soldiers would be returned to slavery, they would kill the white commanders who were working with them, all of this. And this there's this scene and the way that it's done in terms of cinematography I thought was smart. We have Matthew Broderick coming out and very somberly reading, which I expected him to read the Emancipation Proclamation. Yeah, it's in the he, rain. Yes. Most Civil War movies have a scene where they read the Emancipation Proclamation. Right. Here he doesn't. He reads the Confederacy Proclamation. And you see the reality of this hitting the soldiers that they've been training but in a way, it's been like almost play acting. It's not real war yet, mm -hmm. right? It hasn't become real for them. And they talk at many points about how they're getting well fed and they're getting clothes and all of this mm -hmm. where they had not been getting that previously for many of them in their lives. And he reads, the. they see that there's consequences here because he reads that the Confederacy Proclamation basically stated that any black men found aiding the, the mm. Union soldiers would be returned to slavery. Any black men found in uniform would be killed immediately, and any white officers in charge of black units would be killed immediately. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that, because yeah. I couldn't remember the exact details. But the weight of that, you see on all of them, and then the next morning, he wakes up and he's like, you know, Carrie Elways comes in and he's like, are you ready? And Shaw's like, yes. And he says, how many are left? Yeah. He and, even gives Carrie Elway's, uh, he yeah. tells him the night before, if you're not here tomorrow, that's fine. That's fine. So they kind of allow for that. If anybody wants to desert at that point, they can. Yeah, he says discharges would be handed out to anyone who wanted to leave. So they walk out and all the men are there. And it's the whole unit. It's the still, whole yeah. unit. Nobody's left. And to me, this is like the turning point of getting the team together where now they are a team. As we see here, the whole unit's still here because a lot of these black men who are ex-slaves are used to that treatment. Which they talk about. Yeah. Right? This is like, yeah. you, know, you know, he it's very somber, it's in the rain, and he's like, this is ridiculous as he's reading it. But they're like, this is what we've dealt with. Yeah. Like, we knew we could be put to death. We knew if we got caught, we could end up slaves again. But they see that as a white man from Massachusetts who they felt was like above them, He's still willing to be killed, to be in charge, of, to be their commander, basically. Yeah, and they gain a lot more respect for him at that moment. And then he also, in return, gains a lot of respect for them. Which then brings us to this scene with Denzel Washington. Now, this is about, this is about 15, 20 minutes later. And Denzel Washington, his character is being flogged for desertion. Yeah. So, a scene that, again... This is complicated because it's not... So I looked this up. Historically, by this point, they had stopped flogging people for desertion. Okay. But that is something that they did, especially around this time. Right. So a tiny bit fictionalized, but it is, again, very racially charged. Because this scene really mirrors the scene with LeVar Burton in Roots. Yeah. Where he's asking him his name and yep, he's saying and he's Kunta Kinte it. and he's, yeah. the, you know, the slave master's telling him his name's Toby. But also Denzel Washington's character had been a, he'd been an escaped slave. He'd been beat before and as you see, as they take his shirt off, he has scars all over his back. Right, he already has scars. Right, and so it's almost, 
it's degradation because he's it's it's humiliating and it's mm-hmm. basically treating him as he had been treated as a slave. Yeah. So Shaw goes up to Morgan Freeman, his character. I'm forgetting their character names. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. So Matthew Broderick goes up to Morgan Freeman and he asks him basically to kind of be in charge of the men and be like a liaison, right? Yes. And this is one of the things I like about this movie, too, because it doesn't become like a white savior movie. Matthew Broderick is not doing everything correctly or, you know, the one saving these men. The men are, you know, it's a unit, right? right? They're all working together. But basically, Morgan Freeman is very hesitant and then he says, the boy was just trying to find him sh- some shoes. Yeah. So Shaw's like, what? And they go into the tent. Now, Denzel Washington's passed out because of the whipping. They take off his shoes. His feet are, it's like trench foot. Yeah. Right? They're completely swollen, bleeding. And he's like, is this how everybody is? And come to find out, yes. And that's why they need the communication and the liaison. Right? Yeah. That's why you need people in charge of companies to report back right. to the back to the colonel. So what I liked about this is that, you know, they don't ever exactly apologize, but they they dress his wounds and they're treating him very delicately and very carefully to show we understand that what we did was wrong. And then you have a hilarious scene going to get the shoes. Yeah, Matthew Broderick, even by other officers in at this ba- at this camp, um, is treated kind of lesser a little bit because it's kind of a joke that he's in charge of this, you know, black regiment. Mm-hmm. And the quartermaster, who's a lieutenant, which is further down the line than him, and things has already basically said, "Well, I can't get you shoes or anything like those are for fighting men." But if you want, like, if you want a nice bottle of liquor, you can come by and I can get it for you. Yeah. And so basically, he takes some of his men and he goes there and he walks in. And he says, "I need six hundred pairs of shoes and six hundred pairs of socks." The men flank the door. Yeah, so no one else can come in. Yeah, so they're there, kind of like as guards. The other thing is, by this point, they don't have uniforms yet. Right. Because they haven't been given that honor, so. <laughs> he starts destroying it, everything. It's an, it's an important piece for Matthew Roddick's character as Robert Shaw because up until this point, in a lot of ways, Robert Shaw is a North, you know, he's from the Northeast. He's from Boston. He's kind of an educated gentleman. And he's a little bit milk toast in the way that he kind of mm-hmm. just goes with the flow, right? And at this point, he's, he's angry now. And he goes in and says, I need this stuff. And the guy says, well, I, I don't have it. And he says, don't worry, I'll find it myself. And he starts trashing the guy's place. Yeah. And then when the guy says, wait, you can't do this, he turns to him and says, I'm a colonel. Mm-hmm. Remember who you are, lieutenant. And mm-hmm. he says, who are you going to complain to? Yeah. And he's right. Yeah. Right? You have, in, in officers, you have, you have a, a second lieutenant in the army, a first lieutenant, okay, mm-hmm. a captain, a major, a lieutenant colonel, colonel. Oh, okay. He's, so and then general. He's way above him. And he's not been treated like that. No, and well, and also, again, with the age thing, that guy is like 15, 20 years older than yeah. he is. So that plays a piece of it, too. And it straightens him out because he realizes, oh, like, you know. Yes. So basically two things then happen. We have a scene that reminded me a lot of Newsies. Mm. Um, the wages are not what the wages were supposed to be. Yeah. So they're $10 instead of 13 which back then was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And 
Denzel Washington is the first to protest. And then eventually Thomas, who has basically, you know, this this is not the life that he's known, mm. right? He then comes to fully identify with this troop. Mentally and emotionally, he's been separated from them in a lot of ways. He starts also protesting. They all rip up the vouchers for the money. And then Matthew Broderick, does he fire a shot into the air? Yeah, to get to their, their attention. attention. He fires his gun in the air, yeah. And he says, you think that he's going to kind of put down this little rebellion. And instead, he says, your wages are not correct. And if you don't get paid, no one gets paid. Yeah, and he rips up his voucher And as he well. rips up his. So again, showing that they are, they're a unit. Yeah. Right? They're a team. And after that, they get the uniforms. I really wish that this had been a separate scene. Because it is right after. It's almost like they rip up the vouchers and then they get the uniforms. Which I also, I kind of had to wonder if some of the money wasn't going to the uniforms. But it's also, it's pretty clear they were going to pay the black men less. Right. I just wish that, I feel like both of these were such important scenes that they deserve their own time. I wish that they had had separated them somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but it is what it is. So they get their uniforms because... We are having a parade. And for the first time, they're really celebrated. And, of course, Matthew Broderick sees his father in the crowd. Yeah. And, and their his... march through town in, in, in a, is a parade. Yep. And Frederick Douglass is there. Yes. So you can see, again, the importance of this and how they're really being, they're being used as a symbol, but they want to fight. And his letters to his mother talk about how the men are starting to get restless. Because mm-hmm. now they've been trained. Yeah. They're trained very well, but they're not doing what they were trained to do, yeah. basically. So then they're shipped to the south. They get shipped down to South Carolina. But at first, they're shipped They're shipped to the south, but they're not shipped to the front lines. No, they're doing, like, manual labor, Yeah, basically. Matthew Roderick, or, or Robert, is Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw arrives there with his men, and he's welcomed by the general who's in charge as well as another colonel. And this colonel has put together his own little unit of freed slaves. Mm -hmm. But it's a really stark contrast because these are just freed slaves that he's thrown some jackets on. Mm -hmm. And there's no discipline. They have not been trained correctly like the 54th. And and there's a very distinct contrast between the two. It's a lot more like they're a pack of marauders. And they're treated like subhumans by him as well. Yeah, they really are. Shaw treats his men like soldiers. They're really treated by him like they're almost like his slaves now. Yeah. And he's having them like really, I I guess the the pack of marauders is the best way I can put it. They're looting and they're... They're looting and burning towns. And burning towns, which happened a lot during the Civil War. Mm -hmm. They were trying to kind of cut off those chains the supply chain which now we know again how important the supply chain is um but they're cutting off the supply chain but they're also intimidating people um and we have this scene where they're going in and they're looting this house the woman of the house tries to save some of her stuff one of these men um fights with her and because he's fighting with a white woman the other colonel shoots him yeah then he orders Matthew Broderick's men to burn the town. Now, he's ranked above Matthew Broderick. He's ranked yeah. above Shaw. They're both colonels, but he's technically 
in charge of the area. He's in yeah. charge. And he's like, well, if you won't burn this house down and this plantation, then I'm going to write you up for insurrection and I'll put you in the stocks. Basically, basically, you'll be court-martialed, which is a military court, yeah. You'll be court-martialed, and then your men will be under me. Well, all the men, again, with this great shot, cinematography here is wonderful. All the men kind of turn and look at Matthew Broderick like, we don't want to do this either, but we cannot work for this man. Yeah. Because we will not be treated well, Mm -hmm. right? And again, it is like he realizes that they're... They're becoming a family, yeah. which they talk about later on. What were some of your highlights in the next section where we're really getting ready then to to fight the charge to Fort Wagner? Well, I think one of the highlights was I liked that they show the stark contrast between the 54th and this other kind of ragtag unit mm-hmm. because it shows that all this training and organization that they've gone through paid off. You can yeah. see that they are soldiers, they act accordingly, they're disciplined, uh, versus these people who didn't have any of that training and are basically just being tra- treated like slaves, right? And allowed to basically just pillage. Also, I like the fact that he finally gets, Robert Shaw gets sick of waiting, so he writes his father, mm-hmm. who has the ear of Lincoln and other important people, and says, we're just being used for manual labor down here. And it's a waste. It's a waste. You know, we're being you. We're, we're not being allowed to fight, which we were trained for, and we need to be allowed to do that. And and then he goes to this general and this colonel and says, you know, you need to put us up on the front line. And he says, you know, I, I don't. And he says, well, yeah, just so you're aware, I've already written my father. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But you can make it happen quicker. He said, or I can also write some people, and it's interesting because now you see that Shaw and Forbes, the major, Carrie Yillis, or Elwes, are intelligent, and they were raised educated, and they have kept a really solid record of all of the unethical and fairly illegal things that these these two officers have been doing. And they're also using their nepotism for good, finally. Yeah. Which, that's the other piece of it. So... My highlight, this is really my favorite part of the movie, is that after all that happens, we have this scene by the fire. And this is really mirroring the scene that I talked about at the very beginning of the movie where the where the guys were like playing catch mm-hmm. and all of that. That um, they're talking at the fire and they're getting kind of prepared to go into this battle. And each one of the men in turn who we've been following the whole time, kind of comes up and says his piece about kind of showing why he's there, right? But it's like motivational, almost like you have it a sports film. Right. We have the character who's been very um, optimistic. He grabs a hold of a Bible and he's like, "We're, we're fighting with the good book on our side. And he gives a little speech. Denzel Washington has talked before about um, not wanting to, he's not fighting for this country. He's fighting for his own reasons, but he gives his piece and he says, y'all are the onlyest family I ever had, mm-hmm. right? Thomas, really, who should be a strategist, he's really struggled the whole time, but he also, so my point is that each one of these individuals gets up and they we kind of see their heart. 
Yeah. Right. We see why they're there and why they're doing this and all of that. And I thought it was a really good, some really good character development. So they get shipped out to the front line. And in their first day there, they engage some Confederate soldiers. Mm-hmm. And we see a small mini battle in the woods. And they have some losses, but the 54th actually wins. Yes. Fairly decisively. Um, and run off these Confederate soldiers. And so that's like a highlight right there. And then, you know, we show two days later that Robert Shaw is on the beach with a lot of these other commanders because now you're in the be- you're at the, the front line, so there's yeah. a number of units up there. And the general in charge says, you know, we have to take Fort Wagner. It's on the beach, and they're looking kind of at it from a few miles away. Mm-hmm. And this is the problem is is... The rocks are set up in such a way that to get to the fort, it bottlenecks. Mm. So we need a unit to push through there, and it's going to be there's going to be significant losses. But to push through and keep everyone engaged in fighting that unit to give all the rest of the units time to move in. Yeah, and in the meantime, in the small kind of not skirmish, but in the smaller battle, yeah, Thomas is injured and. And Shaw comes up to him and he's like, well, now you get to go home before me and have some of that good home cooking and all of that. Yeah. And Thomas is like, don't send me home. Yeah. Whatever you do, don't send me home. Because he's really, he's very intelligent and the physical part of being in the army, he's not as good at. Right. But again, he really, if he'd been a strategist, it would have been great. Right. Because he's, he's so smart. Um, but he really wants to say, like, this is, I'm going to heal from this and I'm not leaving my men behind. Yeah. I'm not leaving the other guys. Mm. This is my war now. Yeah. So that was, to me, a really um, emotional piece. Yeah. So Robert Shaw volunteers the 54th to take this charge Mm -hmm. which i mean that's part of the title glory right there's glory in that and while it seems like i mean part of you you're watching this and going why the hell would you do like it's almost a suicide mission right Mm -hmm. but when you think about it the 54th was thought of as a joke because they're all it's it's an all-black unit right doing something like this is the only way that they are going to prove it's a it's a brave move that you know you're probably not going to win and you're taking this for the rest of the team. Yeah. Yeah, and so as it shows them marching out the next morning to the beach, like yeah. all the other units are on the sides and and take their hats off and respect them mm-hmm. and we see a unit, a white unit that they had kind of gotten into it a little bit with earlier who were disrespecting them. And one of the guys who had been kind of a jerk says, give him hell, 54. Yeah. And then Shaw asks, who will carry the colors? Yeah. Who's going to carry the flag? If the guy who carries it goes down. If the guy who carries it goes down. And who steps up? Thomas. Thomas. Who has a bullet wound in his shoulder. Yeah. Thomas already has a bullet wound in his shoulder. And he steps up and he's going to carry the flag if the flag carrier goes down. Now, this is really important because... At that point in time, a lot of the gunfire created smoke, so the flag is something to follow, and right. it's a signal to the other people. They're not just carrying the flag to carry the flag, right? right? There's a reason for it. Then we have the battle scene. To me, you know, they're showing the horrors of war through the whole movie. We now see some of the glory of war, but again, a lot like Antietam, 
then it becomes very chaotic. Right. Right. You also have on the beach, Major Forbes is is kind of leading the group. Because Robert Shaw, like I said, the difference between here and Antietam, Antietam he was a captain. Mm-hmm. Right? So he was, a, he was a leader of men, but kind of at a smaller level. He would have been in, in, hell, in, char, in front kind of charging with them. Now he's a colonel. He's a regimental commander. They stayed in the back. Mm, and he usually doesn't. pointed. Yeah. Right? Generals, colonels kind of stayed in the back and strategized and sent men. He rides his horse up, gets off it, sends his horse away, and he tells Forbes, the major, he says, you can step aside. And he stays to the front as well, but he leads them on foot like as if he were a, a, a captain or someone. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. He goes first, but he basically sets the example. He he goes first, and he also is almost the first to die. Right. This, uh, I didn't love how they filmed this. He has this, like, trope of, like, a Christ-like pose almost with his arms out. The music gets very melodramatic, but they're kind of showing that all are equal in death, right? Mm-hmm. More than half the 54th is killed, and, and they do not take the four. And Trip takes the flag even though he refused to carry it before, Denzel Washington's character, he ends up having to take the flag. After Thomas is killed. Thomas does take the flag, but then he's gunned down. And then he takes the flag. Now, in real life, the person who took the flag was William Carney, and he never let it touch the ground during the whole battle, and he got shot twice. Yeah. And then received the Medal of Honor. Mm -hmm. So I save that fact for now, because I think it was such a touching thing that happened and this is what this movie is about right remembering all of those sacrifices right um it also shows the disrespect because especially being that it's a colored regiment they're they're dropped into a mass grave we pull out the beaches strewn with bodies and they have this mass grave where there's a mass grave which they just dug a big grave and they're dumping all the bodies in which is part of the disrespect because they're colored as well. If you saw, like, originally in Antietam, there was grave diggers. Even for the Confederate soldiers, right. they put them in. But here, they just bump them. They just dump. They take their shoes mm-hmm. and anything. They basically rob them and then drop them all into a mass grave. And Shaw is dropped in with them. And then we have another title card yep. that the 54th lost about half of its men. Yep. That the other armies that came after the 54th also suffered great losses until they retreated. The fort was never taken. But the important thing is that because of this battle and because of the 54th, more African-American soldiers joined. Yes. And because they joined the Union Army... Like 180,000 of them. Yeah. That because of that, that helped turn the tide of the war. And Mm -hmm. Lincoln even credited them with helping to win the war. Yeah. So what I think about Glory in terms of being... I'm glad we picked this for Memorial Day as opposed to Fourth of July. Mm -hmm. Because it really does show in a lot of ways the realities of war and the fact that the glory is not, you know, the battles are not glorious, right? <laughs> that they're horrific, that they cause PTSD, that people are not treated well, that, you know, you go through having trench foot from getting sick and, you know, more people died in the Civil War of illnesses than they did of actual, like, bullet wounds, yeah. right? But that the glory is the sacrifices that are made and 
what they did for the to fight for the country to hold the country together and to move from slavery yeah um so that's glory that's, that's the movie glory. so reception for glory okay um, and rotten tomatoes has has glory at a 94 percent interesting it was initially for 1989 for the entire year it was 45th Okay. Out of the whole year. In terms of box office? Yeah, it turned a box office of $27 million. Okay. Um, it cost $18 million to make. Ooh. So it made money, but usually they like to make more than double. Yeah. And But it also had a limited theatrical release. Okay. It was it was o- first opened in like 800 theaters, hmm. and then about a month later they expanded the release. So that probably didn't help as well. Yeah, I wonder why they um, did that. And it was released in December. Which a war movie in December is not really the best time to do that. That's a very strange um, choice. Yeah, it really was. Um, and it was defeated pretty... It was beat up pretty soundly in the box office by... Batman? Uh, Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, which was yeah. Released which, at the was same time, which was also Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. But it did have a good reception from what it, what it saw, right? Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars out of four. Okay. The New York Times said... Broderick gives his most mature and controlled performance to date. Mm. Now, that was interesting. Rolling Stone, on the other hand, said Broderick was catastrophically miscast as Shaw. Yeah, I don't disagree um, with so that. So there was people that <laughs> that liked his role and didn't like his role. The only other thing that Roger Ebert thought about when he gave it three and a half out of four, mm-hmm. one of the reasons he kind of pulled it off four stars, was... He said that he didn't really think that he agreed with the fact that you have a very strong story mm-hmm. centered around the African-American free slave experience in the military yep. told through the eyes of a white officer. And that was one of my issues. I don't want to skip ahead too far, but that was one of my issues with this movie. Mm-hmm. I felt like, I feel like this, it didn't fully come together narratively because sometimes we follow the African-American soldiers and sometimes we follow Broderick. And so because of that, there's no central narrative to pull you along. Right. <laughs> and in, in some cases, it's because they're they're a team and they're a unit. So you do get that sense. But because it's more of an ensemble, you don't have like one character's arc or one character's narrative or story. And I think that that kind of hurts the movie a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And then... Also, uh, it won a number of awards. Okay. Uh, it was nominated for five Oscars. Wow. Um, it won three. See, this is interesting because I feel like this is a movie that a lot of people don't remember. So which, which Denzel Oscars? Denzel Washington won Best Supporting Actor. Okay. He also won a Golden Globe for the same, for Best Supporting. Okay. Um, they also won an Oscar for Best Cinematography. Okay. And Best Sound. Well, that makes sense. Because the cinematography is amazing. Freddie Francis was the cinematographer, and he also did The Straight Story, which also has great cinematography. And he worked on Elephant Man, Cape Fear, a number of things. So it's not surprising that it won for that. No, it wasn't. Or or Best Sound. But I will say, Denzel Washington winning Best Supporting Actor here, and also winning a Golden Globe for Best Supporting... I think Denzel Washington did a great job, and he was no- and he was noticed by a lot of critics as being an up and comer mm-hmm. through this film. Yeah, but I would have 
qualified Morgan Freeman is doing a phenomenal job as best supporting or actor Andre as well. Brower. Or They're... Andre Brower. There was a lot of great supporting actors in this role. To me, Andre Brower and Morgan Freeman both have a lot more nuanced performances. Having said that, it is because now we've seen Denzel Washington for 30 years and things. Right. And he's playing... Denzel Washington. Yeah. Like, that's how I read it. But again, that's because I've seen him in other stuff. And if he was new at this time, I could see how that would happen. Yeah. But he does have an interesting role. Um, any final thoughts before we go into our review? No, no. I think I, I, you know, I think we've touched on pretty much everything. The positives, the negatives, and the story itself. So. All right. So we got to rate it. So we have to rate it. Ten flags. What do you give glory? Oh, no. Now we're going to have to cut a flag in half. Um, possibly. I don't like that idea. You know, like I said, I don't think that Matthew Broderick was as well cast. I think that I like Matthew Broderick and other things. I think he's very gifted comedically. I think that he doesn't quite have the chops in terms of all of the other people in this movie. Mm. Um, The interesting thing was, is he was probably one of the more veteran actors here. Yeah, but he was... The others we know now, but they were really... He had already been in a number of movies. But he had been in things as almost a child star. Right. So he's using this in probably Biloxi Blues, I would imagine, to be kind of like transitional movies to Mm. his adult career. And that's okay. It's just that this is a really dramatic role, and I just... There are a lot of nuances that he kind of doesn't quite pull off. To me, this movie kind of reminded me of, I'll give you another example, The Fisher King. Do you remember that movie? Mm -hmm. So in The Fisher King, it's Robin Williams. He's a homeless man. It has all of the elements that you think would make an amazing movie, but it's not quite Dead Poets Society and it's not Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. It doesn't come together to be the amazing movie that it promises to be. And I kind of feel the same way about this movie, that... The components are all there, but it's like an essay that I give a B minus to. Like each paragraph was great, but it didn't build a cohesive story or right. argument or whatever. So I have to go. I'm going to give it a seven. It has some good performances. It has some interesting cinematography choices. It has some interesting music that sometimes really works and sometimes kind of doesn't. But the history is great. And I think it's it's worth watching for any of those of you who haven't seen it. You know, watch with us and see what you think. That's my that's my opinion. Give it a go. Okay. But yeah. So I did. I mean, I'm a I'm a histor- history buff. I'm a war film fan. I like the story. The fact that it was based semi-historically off the 54th Regiment. Um, I thought that those aspects of historical pieces they did a really good job of right as far as the way they're trained the interactions um the war scene the battle scenes are really well done i thought the acting for the most part was really great i thought all the actors did a great job um i don't disagree that i think matthew broderick probably was one of the weaker pieces to the acting cast Mm mm-hmm um, there were times where he looked kind of like a 13-year-old wearing his dad's jacket. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and I think that kind of took away from it as well. But all in all, I did like Glory. I still do. And I think it holds up. I'm going to give it a 7 as well. Okay. So we're actually, we're on the same page. And, and we, we don't, don't have, have to split a flag We don't have to cut a flag in half. <laughs> Which I don't want to get in trouble. Metaphorically. So. Yeah. Seven, seven flags, flags out, out of, of seven. Out of ten. Out of ten. 
<laughs> yeah, we gotta try that again. Seven, Seven flags, flags out, out of, of ten. ten for glory. Seven out of ten, not too shabby. Five out of five flags for saltwater taffy. Five out of five. Yeah, ten out of ten. Let's rate it <laughs> on that. Saltwater <laughs> no, taffy. We can't, we can't change the candies rating just for saltwater we taffy. We are not sponsored, but if you sell saltwater taffy and you want to sponsor this show, you DM me because I will take that sponsorship and any free taffy you want to give me. It was delightful. Um, so now we come to my favorite part. What is Steve willing to watch? This is our bonus episode, but we have coming up fairly soon, Steve, our 25th episode. Yes. So you have a choice. You can watch, and I can read them, you can watch one of the top movies each year from 1980. You can pick one of those. Or one of the top box office movies from 1990s. Um, so 10, 10 or 10. Mm-hmm. Or, this was my other idea, you could watch a movie for our 25th episode that is 25 years old and 25th in the box office that year. Yeah. And so that's what I'm going to go with. Okay. So the 25th ranked film of 1997. According to Box Office Mojo, the 25th ranked movie of 1997, which is 25 years ago, is The Fifth Element. Excellent. And I think I've seen about 25 minutes of it. Oh, then this will be a treat. (laughs) So that'll be a treat. Look forward to that. For now, this has been our bonus episode. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. Happy Memorial Day. Um, You know, watch Glory or something else. Take time with your family and remember the sacrifices for this country. Yep. Take it to be an actual in memoriam. Yep. (laughs) For now, I'm Megan. And I'm Steve. Have a great week, everyone. (laughs) 